0: And welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts Paul Samuda
1: and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing, and developing, they are here to share with
0: you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme, and Crewe property market. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Essential Property Podcast, where we're going to be discussing all things property related within the Crewe, Stoke and Newcastle area of the country. My name is Amanda Woodward, and I'm pleased to have with me Sam White from Move to Grow Properties, a successful property investor in the Stoke-on-Trent area. In this Social Housing and Supported Housing Special, Sam will share her experience in this sector of Stoke-on-Trent and the highs and lows when operating in this space. So hello, Sam, and welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi there. Okay, so Sam, if we just kick off with an introduction of yourself, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background, I guess, before you ventured into the world of property and your motivation actually to come into this space.
1: So, yeah, I'm Sam. I originally started a career in sport and community. I've had various different jobs, always with charities. And my most recent role was a head of health, at a charitable arm of the football club, um, doing lots and lots of work within mental health. And that is still a big passion of mine. Property wise, I got into property. I've always been interested in property and always thought about it. But I bought my first ever house as a repossession house. It was a absolute sty. There was graffiti on the walls, there was punch holes. We found 20 knives in the back garden and we completely gutted it, literally back to brick. Um, And it was that moment I was like, I really enjoyed this process. I lived in it afterwards, got some tenants in that lived with me. And then when I came to sell it, I was very, very fortunate and made a really big profit. Um, And was like, right, I've got the bug. I want more of this. Then bought myself a little buy-to-let where we live in Wickham and then started um, looking for courses and things like that to get involved in. Went on on some courses. And yeah, when we first sort of started that, most of the time you're taught to go for buy-to-lets, HMO, work your way up. We sort of felt that, well, we've done a flip, we've done a buy-to-let do you know what, let's just skip a few steps and go straight into commercial. So yeah, we bought our first commercial to residential and we leased it out to a charity. Fantastic.
0: So that obviously ties in nicely with your past experience working in sort of the charitable sector and what you want to do in in, in property. If we just go back a step. So before this recording, we we're having a bit of a chat in terms of what you guys have been up to in property and the fact that you've entered into sort of the social housing slash supported housing space. Mm-hmm. Now, just having a look at some of the recent statistics in and around that space, the, gov- the government's website is suggesting that there's about just over four and a half million homes in England that are rented out within this sector. And in the year of 2020 to 2021, there's been a net addition of 25,000 new homes in this space. And when breaking it down, those four and a half million homes, the government's website says that 77% of those homes are rented out to people, let's call it on social rents, with just a very general need for social housing, whether it be low income, and just a need to live within that space, which is obviously the majority of it. But what jumped out was that 13% of those four and a half million homes are rented out within the sort of the supported housing space. And for those listeners that are new to this area, supported housing is effectively housing whereby the provider who provides the house also provides an element of support. And that support can be anything due to some physical needs that the person stopping in the property has, right through to perhaps some uh, areas of mental health support that they need. It could be young people in care or care leavers, should we say, that need some additional support. And there's a whole bunch of people in in England that need more support than just housing. And that's where this sort of supported housing comes into place. There's a bunch of people that leave the criminal justice system, or that leave certain sort of rehabilitation places that need some support. So that's an area that you've moved into, which is, I think, quite unique for property investors. When we say to property investors, you know, or or when property investors say, I invest in social housing, that could be anything from renting a house out to a family who are claiming universal credit, which is probably the lower end of needs, let's say, right through to somebody that needs sort of 24-hour support. So it'd be great for you to share with our listeners where you could have sort of slotted in so you just said that you've leased that property out to a charity so just share with us a little bit about what it is that you're doing in that space
1: yeah so we we always wanted to have a moral edge to our business having worked in charities all my life and had a real passion for mental health really really wanted to support more people um, and doing it through our property business we sort of fell into the charitable sector. We met our builder by chance, who also runs his own charity. And, yeah, as, as I mentioned to Amanda before, when my builder sort of sat me down once and said, you know, what, what are your goals in life? Um, which I thought was quite strange for a builder to ask me. But I said, you know, one, we want to try and get financially free. Next step would be support our families and the next step after that is, I would absolutely love to have my own charity within mental health. And it was at that point he sort of looked at me and was like, "Right, yeah, I want to work with you." If you had said you just want to end up on a beach for the rest of your life, I don't, I wouldn't want to work with you. And and that's how we sort of we we met the charity the charity that we work with now. And consequently to that, they have so many links to other charities. So so yeah, we're looking forward to working with not just the one we are at the moment, but other ones in the future as well.
0: Great. So I think if a builder sat me down and asked me that question, I would have thought that was a little bit strange as well. <laughs> it um, was a bit strange. <laughs> it was sort of a meeting of minds or an alignment, should we say, of their values and your values, which perhaps wasn't so much of a coincidence. So, had you already lined up a property at that point, or did you then start? Was your first purchase almost like did you purchase it to order for what they were looking for? How did that work out?
1: Yeah, so we were obviously looking for lots of different properties, uh, just standard houses, HMOs and commercial properties. We found the real value was in commercial properties and it was working with the charity themselves and sort of learning from them what sort of commercial properties would change into residential quite nicely and what they kind of wanted. For instance, they didn't really want a property that was above a shop on a high street especially dealing with the clients that they work with and that provided a bit too much temptation as such and so they wanted something a little bit away from the high street but still with access to transport links and their community centre. Okay good
0: stuff so you would you had their brief but you were already looking so it's quite easy to then start to work out what it is that they were looking for so you mentioned there a little bit about temptation uh, which certainly has me intrigued so The space that this charity works within, just tell us a little bit more about that in terms of how you've got to find something very specific.
1: Yeah, so the charity we work with rehabilitate people that come out of prison and they've got almost like a four-step process. So they have their own rehabilitation HMO, which they support people that come straight out of prison and try and get them back into the sort of normality again, really. Then from that process, they go into a HMO, so living with other people, trying to find their feet, getting getting work. And then the next stage is having their own place. So the likes of our property, finding a flat that they can they can live in, and again, just learn those independent skills again with the support of the charity, of course. So yeah, a, a lot of the time when I mention The tenants are, you know, ex-prisoners. A lot of people (gasps) gasp and it's like, oh, you know, why do do you want to work with them? Surely they're going to trash the place. And there's a lot of those misconceptions. But I mean, we were a little bit nervous, but we protected ourselves just by making sure that the contract was watertight. You know, if there was any damage done, the charity would pay for it. And they do you know, if there's any accidental damage or whatever, they, they pay for it. So for us, we, we were securing that knowledge, but also we don't want to sort of put people in a box. We wanted to try and support whoever we could really.
0: That's great. And I think for some of the listeners who haven't gone down that social housing or supported housing space, this would be very new for them. So naturally, you don't have sort of an AST, let's say, with the actual tenants that are in the property. Presumably, you don't even necessarily know who they are and what their situation is. You're just dealing with the charity. So you mentioned about putting some clauses into a contract. So does the charity pick up? sort of generally the maintenance side of things? How does that work?
1: Yeah, so this is another big plus point from a money perspective is obviously we have no management fee. The charity manage who goes in and out of that property and our maintenance fee is really, really low. The charity look after everything inside the property and we essentially just look after the outside of the property. Which we did a lot of in the construction phase when we were turning the commercial into a residential. We put on a new roof, did repointing, and that sort of thing. So we try to do that in that phase anyway. So yeah, our fees are very very low.
0: That's good, which ultimately creates you know a great cash flow for you as investors, but equally presents a fantastic property to the charity, and then obviously onwards to their sort of clients in space which is you know all part of your your vision for your business which is great Mm -hmm. It's really win, yeah fantastic fantastic so you spoke about the contract so let's talk a little bit about sort of insurance and you know sort of the mortgages for the property presumably you might have to take out something slightly different compared to if it was a regular buy to let how does that work
1: yes Um, we got a Pacific mortgage and there are Pacific lenders out there that will deal with charitable contracts, slightly different to your your normal buy to let mortgage. They are harder to come by, and the Pacific lender that we went with first time round was a nightmare. They wanted to know everything about us, our inner leg measurement, our blood type. Um, but and you know they we had to go back to and fro with a charity changing that contract making sure that the clauses were right that so said the lender was happy but also the charity was happy and us sort of just playing that middle person trying to keep everyone happy so yeah it was a little bit of a nightmare but I think the the most important thing is to try and get your power team right first time around I don't think we had the right broker to help us to to do that second time round, we do have a better broker now who understands that sector And so I think that's really important for people that are going into it for the first time, just vetting your broker, making sure that they've done deals like this before, that they've worked with lenders doing these sorts of leases before. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And then when it comes to
0: insurance policies, I guess they just need to know the tenant type, which is a very standard question, I guess, when you take out a new insurance policy. Any tips there? Any and I think we can learn from, from from that experience
1: um no i mean more um interest um, interest insurance was pretty easy to be honest as you say they they just want to know the sort of tenants that are going in there wasn't too much different i mean we typically use an insurance broker as well so again they will find the best lenders suited for that particular circumstance so that wasn't too bad to be honest Good, good.
0: And then let's talk about the rents, which you know, every investor is um, highly uh, concerned about to ensure that, that that the rental income works and the cash flow works. So, uh, what sort of uh, rents do you have, or or what was agreed with the charity in terms of the income side of things?
1: Yeah. So, for our first property, we did it on LHA rates. So, I mean, they're not hugely different to private rents depending on the types of property. So, for, the, for our first property, we, we converted it into two one bed flats, um, which I don't think I've said. So, for a one bed flat, we get three, £373 or just under £374, really, per month, per flat. And typically in Stoke, you're sort of private rental-wise, you're looking anything between 350 £425. Um, so it's kind of in the middle of that. What we've also you've also got to take into account is you will have no voids because you're with a charity. They sign that lease. They have to pay you that every single month regardless. So, yeah, you have no voids. Obviously, as I mentioned before, there's no management fee very very little maintenance fee and so we're sort of cash flowing obviously taking out our mortgage and um insurances and those sort of costs we cash flow about 412 pounds per month obviously because that the 300 is for two flats so yeah so we still cash flow nicely on that one
0: fantastic and just for our listeners who might not be familiar with the stoke-on-trent property prices. Please just tell us how much you bought the actual property for, and perhaps what you spent on the refurb, roughly, just to give us an idea.
1: Yeah, so this is probably my proudest moment this with this property. And again, a little bit of an indication on how different commercial properties can be. Market is obviously a little bit wayward at the moment, but we bought this property for £37,000. It used to be an old fishing tackle shop interestingly and uh yeah it was it was very very run down we spent just under seventy thousand pounds on the refurb changing that into two duplex flats and new roof um, and the rest of it and yeah it valued up at 110.
0: fantastic brilliant i mean 70k to do two duplex flats new roof and it sounds like a back to brick refurb i think you've got quite a good deal there yeah, well, that, sounds, that sounds good. And a thirty-seven thousand pound purchase. I mean, oh, yeah. that, is, that is that is crazy. I don't think you could you know, buy a garage in <laughs> say thirty-seven thousand pounds. So, out of interest, where did you find the property? Was it just on the market? Was it through a commercial agent? How did that work?
1: Yeah, so it was just just with a commercial agent. It went up for auction, and just didn't it didn't go through at auction. So we. Jumped on it and offered the seller two prices. And um, so we went in right thirty-seven thousand, and you you take the money and run, or we give you a little bit more forty-two thousand, and you wait for us to get planning. We knew we would get the planning anyway, but he was just like, I just want the money and run. So yeah, that's how we ended up at thirty-seven.
0: Fantastic. An absolute deal. That sounds really good. So refurb commences, obviously the relationship with your charitable partner starts to commence, sign the contract, get the clients in the property. So how long has that been up and running for now, would you say?
1: Yeah. So um, we had a slight delay. We were two weeks away from completing the refurb and then that lovely thing COVID happened. Wow. So yeah, back in March, obviously 2020, so yeah, fortunately, because it's it's sort of a, still a smallish property, the builders still went in one at a time, so they were still sort of safe, and managed to get that finished off. And we managed to get tenants in there at the start of July.
0: Okay, that's yeah,
1: that's yeah. So there was a bit of a delay, an annoying delay, but yeah, got people in there. A year and a
0: half in, and everything's going as
1: planned. No surprises. Yeah, no surprises at all. Yeah, it's pretty hands off. You see the money roll in each month. And I just have a little bit of contact with the charity just because I want to know how our property is supporting those people. We've had 10 people live in that property, obviously not all at once, <laughs> um, but go through the flats and, and come out the other end. And say, yeah, we're really, really happy that we've managed to support that many people.
0: That's great. So you've got 10 people that have left the prison system, have then come out and gone through this charitable partners sort of rehabilitation process to integrate, you were saying, back into sort of normality um, through to employment, and then living a a more independent life, which is great. And I think it's lost sometimes on the impact that in- investors can have with regards to providing accommodation because accommodation is you know the basic human need fundamental in the rehabilitation of lots of different types of people and different backgrounds and you know b- by providing this property you're very much part of that process and i think i think i think that's just fantastic so you loved it so much you've decided to go again yeah Tell us about property number two that's currently in progress.
1: Yeah, so slightly different. So, we bought a six bed HMO, which we have just changed. We sacrificed one of the rooms because when we got this HMO, it was still a functioning HMO. There were still people living in there, but it was a bit grotty, a bit run down, and there was no living room space at all, no social space. There was just a kitchen and a dining room table, but there was no sofas, there was nowhere to really. Commune as such, so yeah, we've sacrificed one of the bedrooms, so it's now a five bedroom with a lovely now uh, sociable area where our clients will obviously be able to use that and have their support sessions in there as well. And it's got a nice big garden as well, so they can have that outside space too. And so yeah, really looking forward to that. We're as I said to you earlier, I'm literally up there at the weekend putting flat pack furniture together, ready for tenants to move in. Fantastic.
0: So. That's a HMO, which is obviously different to flat. So will that be a different part of the rehabilitation process? Or are you still more towards the end where people are living a lot more independently?
1: Yeah, so it's sort of one step backwards, if that makes sense. So they've, they've come out of prison, they've gone through the rehab section, and then they move into HMO accommodation. So yeah, we are now providing that HMO accommodation and yeah we've we've worked slightly differently with the charity this time round we this time around are providing the furniture and we are paying the like the utility bills but we have got an increased rent this time and um, so we're just trying things slightly different more so for this charity they needed a bit more support because they couldn't quite get the upfront costs for the for the furniture and so we decided to support them to be able to do that
0: So your alternative, you've invested into a HMO, which for stoke on trent that could be rented to students, it could be rented to the professional market, but you've decided to bring that property back into the sort of the supported housing space. Are you receiving a rental income equivalent to if you were renting it out on the market? Are you sacrificing a little bit of rent because of the consistency? How do you weigh up your numbers on that?
1: Yeah. So for this particular property, we had we had two exit plans. Obviously, number one is always going to be try and get a charity in there. However, we could have still have marketed that to young professionals. It's right around the corner from the university hospital. So a really prime location. But the charity really, really wanted this one. And we are actually getting private rent amounts. And obviously we had already factored in when we were doing both case scenarios of paying the bills and obviously furniture costs as well. But we have no voids again, the we have no management fee again, and again the maintenance will be, will be very, very low. So we're we're still getting a better um return on our rentals than we would if we went private. Brilliant. And it also ticks the, the box of your vision and your mission for your business yeah. as
0: well. So it sounds like everything is going exactly as exactly as planned. If I were a neighbour, if I were living in the local community and I heard that Sam was bringing a HMO for ex-prisoners rehabilitating, do you have any feedback from neighbours, negative or, or perhaps even positive with what's going on? Or do they just not really know what's taking place?
1: Yeah, so obviously our first property has been in operation for a lot longer. We have had no negative feedback come back from that. We, I mean, the charity do protect themselves as well as us by setting up. They've got CCTV cameras all around every property. The people that live in there have curfews as well as part of their rehabilitation process. And there's pretty much staff members on site majority of the time. This, the one we're doing at the moment, is obviously more so in a residential area. I have the numbers of the neighbours already spoken to them and sort of talked to them about what is going to be happening with the property. And the only bit of feedback I had, the lady that obviously lives next door was just like, can you just maintain the garden? The old owner just let the garden run riot. I know that from experience because we spent two days chopping that garden down. So, <laughs> so yeah, I promised her we'll, uh, we'll look after the garden.
0: Fantastic. And it's great to have that relationship within the community and within the local neighbours, even just having HMOs sometimes with the comings and goings of multiple people. And sometimes, you know, not having so much harmony in a house can sometimes cause problems with the neighbours. So it sounds like you've got that, you've got a strategy for that, which is all good as well. So what's next for Move to Grow? What's next for Sam in terms of this space? What does the next couple of years look like for you guys?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we just want to continue to grow. We've got a couple of properties sort of going on that aren't charity related as well. We're hoping to sort of mix mix a few. We've got um, a flip going through to help us to create more funds again for the next charitable property. And yeah, it's just growing on from here. My big dream is to have more flats, more charitable flats and to yeah use loads of all the commercial properties that just are sitting there doing nothing and making them into lovely lovely houses for for people that really need them sounds like that sounds like
0: a great mission going forward i must say sam though you don't have a local stoke on trent accent (laughs) slightly more refined than mine so where is home what's the commute like and is stoke still firmly on the map going forward for your business
1: yeah, so I live in High Wycombe at the moment. I'm originally from Bexhill on sea, down, right down south. <laughs> um, but yeah, we Stoke for us is about a three hour drive and that was always going to be our limit of, of driving. But as soon as we sort of went into Stoke, we, we loved it. We love the people. And yeah, everyone is more than happy to have a chat with you. A lot different to down south. And and yeah, we just, we we really like the place. And yeah, we will definitely keep investing in Stoke.
0: Wow, that's brilliant! That's brilliant, and that's all positive for the the city. The, the city has got quite a lot of grand plans going forward. They were part of the Leveling Up Fund that central government were distributing. They've managed to secure fifty six million in funds, which will be going out in all sorts of different angles to you know reinvigorate and rejuvenate what is a city that thrived many many years ago. But I think lost its direction over the last few. So it's great to see that, you know, the funds are coming in and that the city is being rejuvenated. And it's people like yourselves that are also adding in additional investment. You spent £70,000 on the first project, no doubt similar again on the second. You're employing local builders you're working with local charities, you're impacting, you know, local tenants. So, you know, all positive in that direction. So something that I ask all of our guests on the podcast is how can we help you? So anyone who's listening, what is it that you are perhaps looking for that we could try to help you with?
1: Yeah, I mean, as I said before, we are always wanting to grow and grow quickly. And to be able to have that, I mean, we, for pretty much all of our properties have used angel investors so if anyone is listening that has a charitable mission of their own and wants to get involved and um, then yeah we'd been loved to have a chat with you fantastic
0: and all those commercial properties that are sitting empty on the high streets they're all on oh, your yeah. do list <laughs> you yeah. find and there are a lot and unfortunately post-covid there are even more um, so putting those to good use is certainly a good mission as well all right fantastic so anyone who's listening that wants to get in contact what's the best way sam
1: so they can get in contact with us straight through our social media on Instagram and we are at move to grow properties fantastic no doubt you'll have a few messages in your inbox
0: after this episode so thank you so much for joining us on the podcast it would be great if we can touch base with you again in I don't know a year or two perhaps to see how your mission in Stoke-on-Trent is going but again thanks for coming on the podcast and we look forward to hearing from you soon thanks Sam thank you. enjoyed today's episode and if so, please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too. To get in touch with Paul and Amanda directly, please visit their website www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. We look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.